0: If you're a passionate coloured pencil artist or an aspiring one who's looking to create their best work and a joyful life you love, you're in the right place. Grab a cuppa and a custard cream. Let's get cracking. I'm so excited about my next guest. I have been following her for probably just over a year. I'm a member of her Money Boot Camp. I have all three of her books and I listen to them <laughs> incessantly uh, on audio. She is the most amazing woman, I have to say. And I'm starting to take on some of her advice around boundaries and all of that kind of thing. And she's she's just such an inspiration, I think, to female entrepreneurs. I'm really, really delighted to be speaking very late <laughs> because she's in Australia uh, to Denise Duffield-Thomas. Okie dokie, so I've got the fabulous um, Denise Duffield-Thomas here all the way from Australia. I'm up very late uh, to speak to her and I'm incredibly excited. Uh, It's just so lovely to have you here.
1: Hey Bonnie, it's (laughs) great to see you. Thanks for staying up so late for me. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) Our time zone is so horrible between us and my husband's English and so trying to, you know. have our kids talk to his mom and it's just it's a nightmare it's not very fun
0: which is a shame I know I know I have quite a few students sort of dotted all around all around the world and I have some very diehard students that are kind of joining me at goodness knows what hour in the morning um in some of my live streams and I'm like I'm so grateful that they do but it's you know it is quite late for them So, um, yeah, so it's it's lovely, lovely, lovely to have you on my podcast. I am incredibly excited um, and I'd love to know. Well, I'd love to know a little bit about your new book, because I've read all. Th- I think you've got three books, which I've 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 just I've got on audio and I just have them on all of the time. And I have to say what I really love about your your books, you've narrated them and sometimes you get an audio book and. The, the person speaking and it can be a bit the content's fantastic but sometimes the voice is a bit I don't know it doesn't really grab you it's literally somebody just reading from a book but yours is your it's like you're just sitting in the room just talking and and it's so lovely to listen to it so I can listen to them over and over again and it doesn't get bored oh thank
1: you well you know what it's so funny because you have to just sit in a room and talk for hours and hours <laughs> and so it can take you know, two, three full days to record an audiobook. And But I feel like I've been training for that my whole life. I was the kid who was getting in trouble for talking in school, in class sometimes. And so I think it's so cool now that we can, you know, we live in a world where we can create our own podcasts, we can do all our own stuff, all those things we used to get in trouble
0: for in class. Amazing, amazing. So, yeah, so talk to me about, I know you've got a new book. I've pre-ordered it. I can't wait to get my mitts on it. Tell me about your new book. Yeah, so my new book is called Chill and Prosper,
1: and it's an updated version of my previous book called Chillpreneur. Chillpreneur, I started writing in 2017, handed it into my publisher Hay House in 2018, and it came out in 2019. And then something happened in 2019 that changed our world (laughs) for the last couple of years. So then my publisher asked me to do an updated version of the book to acknowledge the fact that We've gone through this big global event and the world has changed, you know, and business advice. It's not that it's changed, but I think there are nuances to acknowledge. The other thing that was really cool about being able to do a new edition is that people would contact me and say, that's great, Denise, but it doesn't work for my industry. It doesn't work for my personality. I'm exempt and I'm special and I can't make my business easier because my customers would say no, or my, you know, my boss would say no, or I'm just not allowed to do it. And so, um, yeah, I was thrilled to be able to do a, a completely new edition. And the reason why we did a name change actually is because when we um, did the first edition, I hated the cover. I really hated it. So when we did a new one, I said to my publisher, okay, but it has to have a new cover. And they said, well, we never liked the name Chillpreneur. Can you come up with a different name? And I went, no problem. (laughs) All good. And so... If anyone did buy the previous version, it isn't like it's a completely, you know, 100% new book, but there's so many upgrades to it. Plus, I did a ton of pre-order bonuses um, to make that really special. And one of them I just added is a whole bunch of audios with affirmations over meditation music. So you can listen and work and do things while you're listening to meditations. And let me just tell you the URL before I forget, and then we can go on to whatever. Um, it's denisedt.com slash prosper. It has all the links to where you can buy it all over the place. And then you can get those pre-order bonuses as well. And we're going to do a live book club in July. And if you're listening to it after July, you can still get all those bonuses.
0: Oh, amazing. Amazing. And you are a, a, a money coach, money mindset coach. That's mm-hmm. That's kind of what you build your business on. And you are... Uh, Very much of the mindset of the law of attraction, manifestation, all of that kind of thing, which is just, oh my goodness, honestly, I I think the last probably year and a half, I've, I've started to kind of understand vibration, you know, what I think attracts everything else back. I launched my business last September, part of my business. And just sort of believed that it was going to be successful. And and it has been. uh, And, you know, it's doing really, really well. And um, I joined your money boot camp because I have some major money blocks. I mean, major money blocks. I feel so guilty earning money. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. joining your joining your your money boot camp and going through the different areas and you know being being a part of the the Facebook group and everything like that it's really really helped me to understand you know just how important it is to and to, to work out what those blocks are and how you can overcome them and I don't know whether you can just sort of give us a little bit of an of an idea of you as a coach uh, you know how you help people with their different sort of money blocks I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I want to acknowledge the fact that you're not alone with feeling guilty about earning money, but the fact that you can even say it out loud and acknowledge it is so powerful because often when you go into the personal development world or in the entrepreneurial world, it's totally taboo to mention your fears out loud because the first law is kind of fake it till you you make it and what i do though is allow people to look at the mess allow people to look at the fears and honestly acknowledge them because that's the thing that's going to help us and if we don't it just continues perpetuates the fact that money is a taboo topic that we're not allowed to talk about so that's my job i hold space for people in that way of i write books and i have courses where we explore our fears and resistance to earning more money because we all have it, including me. I still work on mine all of the time. And what's really fun about my work is that it allows me, one, to hear people's secrets and stories because that's the best thing ever, but also to see all of the connections and the interplay between our experiences growing up, between the culture that we grow up in and how that impacts our money today. And what's fascinating is I sometimes bring together groups of people to just to talk, you know, about their experiences, their commonalities. So a couple of months ago, I got a bunch of my English clients together to talk about what blocks would come up from growing up in England, growing up English. And of course, of course, there are nuances within nuances, right? Of course there are. But it was really fun to look at what are, what are even the, like the common values or even the cliches of being English. And one of them was this idea that you guys love queuing. You love queuing. Is this true or is it not true,
0: generally? Well, it might be cute or true, although saying that, <laughs> I had to go to the t- oh, it's the dog going out I had to go to the tip this morning with a car full of cardboard because so the house was just full of cardboard so I was like right I'm going to the tip got there there were so many cars there and I was like I'm not queuing <laughs> I am not queuing so I turned round and I came straight home and my car is sitting outside the front still full of cardboard so I don't really like queuing but yes British people do tend to queue
1: But you would never get there and go, I'm not queuing. I'm just going to go to the front of the line and I'm going to push all these cars out of the way. And so even just talking about that and saying, how does this relate to your money mindset? Do you feel like you have to wait your turn? Do you feel like there's a natural order to things that you have to wait for things to unfold for you? Are there unspoken agreements in your family about who is allowed to succeed first? Do you have unspoken agreements with your friends or your mentors about who gets to succeed in what order? And it's those little nuances that you can start to explore because then someone's like, well, I'm the baby of the family and I feel like I can't succeed because my brother is is supposed to succeed first. It's all unspoken, it's all unconscious, but there's something there about it's impolite to put myself forward for things. It's impolite to make quantum leaps. It's impolite to go faster than other people. And again, this could all just be a story, but this is the this is the work because as humans, we are wired to believe in story and metaphor. And it can be very powerful to unpick that for ourselves and say, oh, this could be one of the reasons why I'm holding myself back from succeeding in my business, whether or not that's true. But it's powerful to acknowledge that and to make meaning mm-hmm. out of why sometimes we we are scared of money.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, and, and, you know, some, I mean, I've had no money, literally no money. And then all of a sudden have have quite a, a lot of money. And it I'm I'm getting better, but it still feels, it still feels very strange, you know, and I still have to give things away to make it yeah, feel yeah. better. Um, you know, but then there's also that thing, being an artist, there's also that thing that there's almost a stigma if you don't do well. So everybody wants to do well, but then when you get to do well, then it's like. Oh, well, they can't be a proper artist then because they're just after the money. Yes. That really frustrates me because if you're running a business and you're, you know, to run a business successfully, you make money. So,
1: absolutely. (laughs) But that's the thing, right? So, say we, you know, we grow up in a culture where it's impolite to talk about money, which can be very English too, right? Mm -hmm. Because I hear people saying, oh, well, I can't I can't brag about my income like it's very American. You know, I'll hear that from British people and it's very impolite to talk about money. So then how are you going to put a price on your work? How are you going to invoice? How are you going to chase up money? So that's one part of it. And then you come into an industry that has its own rules as well. And one of the rules of the art world is you're a starving artist unless you have a wealthy patron and only a few amount of artists and it's to be honest it's mostly men let's face it are allowed to be successful because they're geniuses but that's very rare and if you you know if you receive money you're a commercial sellout which is obviously seen as very bad um so there's so many layers on that and then you you put in your own experiences from your own family what if What did your family say about who was allowed to earn money? What professions were considered valid and what professions weren't in your family? It's this big old mess and you have to look at your own stuff and, you know, start to untangle bits of that and go, okay, what's real and what's not? What's mine and what's someone else's? And am I allowed to prosper? Because then there could be, you know, political persuasions that your family grew up with saying, you know, all, pe- all people who do this are bad. All people who do this are good. And that's tricky. It's tricky to unpack. And then we think, why can't I just hit publish on a social media post? Why can't I do that? Because there's so many layers.
0: Yeah.
1: Even we haven't even talked about the layer of what happens to outspoken women in history. Yeah.
0: Doesn't that feel scary? MM yeah yeah i mean there was something that this morning i was thinking gosh i wish i could write about this but i don't think i can because <laughs> because i'll probably somebody won't be happy about what i'm writing about and and actually that's that's my problem it's not somebody else's problem and i should feel empowered enough to be able to write whatever i want to write as long as it's not going to hurt anybody absolutely but, but it's scary because
1: we see it every day we see examples of you know politicians or Uh, Act actresses, or and let's face it, a lot of the time it is women who get vilified, or you know it's that metaphorical being burnt at the stake, and it feels very real in our body. It feels very scary, and we have to have compassion for that. and We have to unpack it, and there's a lot of other things you can do to to feel safer in that space. But we have to acknowledge those fears because they they do stop us from doing what we want to do.
0: Yeah. How did you get into the coaching to begin with? Is this something that you've always done? It's something I've always wanted to do. And so I really think of my
1: personality, even at um, school was very much like a coachy kind of personality. You know, and I would, I would hear something on Oprah after school, and then I would regurgitate it to my friends the next day and try and coach them. I remember trying to coach. I don't even know where I got this from. My cousin, um, I won't even mention his name, but he, ha- he was a chronic bedwetter. Sorry, I'm sure he's not listening. I have many male cousins. But I remember going, um, I don't know where I got this from, but um, I was like, oh, I'm going to do a guided meditation with him. You know, and I wasn't very old, but it was just like, maybe this will help. And it was it was really interesting. I don't know where I got a lot of those things from, but I think it was honestly from w- watching things like Oprah and reading personal development books, even in my teens, but I had my first life coach at 19 and I found it a very cheesy, weird experience because he would he would uh, read out NLP for Dummies. He'd say, he'd open up this book, NLP for Dummies, and he'd do guided meditations. But also I had um, at 19, I had nowhere to put that motivation. I didn't have a business or anything. So I was like, oh, I'm so motivated, but I still don't know what I'm going to do in, with my life because this is not a real job you know, and so I didn't become a coach until I was almost 30. That's when I did my coaching um, qualification. And at the start, I didn't even realize that you were allowed to have an ideal client. (laughs) I was just like, bring me your problems, any problem, and we'll work on it together. And then, then I started to go, oh, I don't like working with people who are in this situation. Or I, I really like working with people who are entrepreneurs rather than people in a corporate job. And then I was like, oh, I prefer working with women than men. No offense, men. And then it was just a process of attrition. And then I realized too, I was working on my own money mindset myself. So I thought, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll talk about this a little bit. And I just, I decided to do a course, a one-off course um, 10 years ago called Money Bootcamp. I just thought, well, I'm still interested in this. And with a lot of my previous things that I was talking or teaching about. I would lose interest. I would lose steam within a couple of months. And I'm still 10 years later still going, wow, that's an interesting nuance. That's an interesting nuance. And I came at it from a place of I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not an accountant. I can't tell people what to do with their money, but I can ask questions and be curious and help people explore those things in a safe space. And I'm just still waiting
0: for me to be
1: bored of it. And I haven't, I haven't yet. So that's how I'm still doing it.
0: That's, that's amazing though. After 10 years, still being really excited about it.
1: I'm fascinated by it. And because I meet people every day and they tell me their stories, I go, I've never considered that before. That's cool. Now I can tell someone else about it in a
0: similar situation. Yeah. You mentioned um, life coach and NLP before. Have you done any training in NLP? Do you use NLP in any of your coaching?
1: No, I don't. Um, not explicitly. A lot of things like that are built into coach training for sure. And I think too, I, I, that's why I actually don't call myself a coach anymore. I call myself a money mindset mentor because I the work that I do isn't necessarily even coaching mm. anymore. I'm not here to convince anybody or help... I'm literally creating a safe space to ask questions, for people to ask questions for themselves. So, I, I mean, I, I think some people use NLP in a really great way. I think some people use it in a very manipulative way. But, I, I, yeah, I love all sorts of modalities and tools because I think everything works in its own way. You know, everything has its place as long as we're coming from a place of self-love and acceptance Mm. Everything has its place.
0: Yeah. So you practice, it's EFT, isn't it? EFT. Yes. 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 So now I'd I'd really like to know more about this because I downloaded all of your the bits and pieces. I, I I don't know whether it's my age, but I really struggle to remember what the affirmations were, even though they're literally about three words, <laughs> you know. Um, but can you just I get that. do that? Yeah, because I understand. I, really, I really like the, the thought of it and I and, and I know it works and I'd like to do it more. And actually having mm. having you sitting sitting here now, it is a really great opportunity for me to say, you know, what can I do to make it more, I don't know, just easier for me to do it?
1: Yes, of course, of course. So when I was living in London in my 20s, I had this temp at work who came in temporary secretary and we were talking about, you know, books and things like that. And she said, have you ever tried tapping? And I was like, yeah, I grew up as a dancer. I can do tap, jazz, and ballet. And she was like, <laughs> "And she was like, no, emotional freedom technique. And I was like, tell me more. And back then there weren't any websites really about it. She had to lend me her, her six-part DVD series um, and I had to go home and watch it. And back then it was even more complicated. There was um, way more points. There was finger points. You had to hum happy birthday. You had to roll your eyes one way, roll your eyes the other way. What I love about um, EFT now is that there are so many practitioners who teach probably what, you know, purists would call the quick and dirty version of tapping. And what it is at its purest level, it's a pattern interrupter. It's a pattern interrupter. There is better people than me to talk about the science of acupressure and the meridians and things like that. For me, I come at it from not an expert point of view, from a layman's point of view of going, this is to interrupt a pattern of thought in your in your brain that's what i use it for and so you say a negative statement even though i have this fear of money even though i feel terrible about invoicing people even though i have all of this guilt around money So you say the negative thing and people freak out about that because they go, I don't want to manifest the bad thing by saying it out loud. And this is the disservice that some people in the law of attraction world has given to us because we feel like we have to be pure in thought and deed all of the time. And it's impossible to do that. We're human beings. And all we're doing is just allowing it to come out because it's living there anyway every moment of our life, right? So we say the negative thing. I deeply, uh, sorry, even though I have this this fear and you can be very specific, even though I can't invoice that person because she's my friend, even though I can't put a price on this because everyone's going to hate me. Or you can just be general, even though I have this fear of money. And then the second part is I deeply and completely love and accept myself. And it's actually the second part that's the most important. Because so many of our fears and our resistance is this fear that we're just not enough. We're not enough. We're not likable. We're not lovable. We're doing everything wrong. We're horrible, bad people, all of those things. That's really the crux of so many of our, our fears. And then at the same time, you do tapping points on your face. Even though I have this fear, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. So it feels like there's a lot to it. But even if all you did was tap on one point, which they call the karate chop point and just say, I deeply, and completely love and accept myself. And if you can't remember that, I love and accept myself. I love and accept myself. And the way that I make it a habit for myself is that I do it with my kids as part of their night routine. And sometimes we you know, we can say, did anything happen at school today that you're upset about? Or they'll, you know, they'll say, oh, I'm, I did this thing. But most of the time we just say that I love and I deeply and completely love and accept myself. And my, you know, my three-year-old just does that and we do it just two rounds and she just goes, I deeply and completely love and accept myself because <laughs> she's got a little, she's got a little lisp and a speech impediment. But that's, that's really, like that is going to set them on such a great path, just being able to go, I'm okay. I'm, in, you know, I'm, I'm okay here. But and it can be as complicated as you like. But the cool thing is now there are so many people on YouTube who have created scripts for anything. You know, you can write an EFT script for invoicing, EFT script for breaking through an income plateau. Someone would have created a script, and you can just copy along with them and do it. Sometimes people yawn after it. Sometimes people feel sick. Sometimes you just feel relief sometimes you know you really thirsty after it but there's no right or wrong and that's why i say anything works because you might go i'm just going to do mirror work i'm just going to which is what louise hay talked about for years she said just get a mirror and just say i love and accept you and that's what i started with before i even did eft i was like this is really hard for me to look myself in the mirror and say i love you i accept you because i was just full of you're not good enough you're unlovable you're horrible you're a bad person it takes
0: a while to chip away at that Mm. what was the uh, was there sort of like a turning point then was there a a point in your life where you were I don't know not particularly happy or a bit miserable or something that that then made you sort of look into all of this and go no I need to change things
1: I mean plenty of moments right I grew up you know, with, with not much money. My mum married a wealthy uh, man when I was about 11 and they were together for about four or five years in and out. So we would we would go live in his big mansion and then they would, um, you know, blow up and then we would we would move back into a very small kind of tiny flat. So I think from a young age I was very obsessed with financial independence. I know I need to make my own money, but I really struggled with how to actually do that. And I do remember when I was living in London and, you know, in my early 20s and I just had zero money. And my flatmate at the time, a really good friend of mine who we'd known since we were teenagers, he gave me, you know, like something like 12 pounds in coins. And I cried. Like I just and he was like, oh, my God, it's not a big deal. You know, we've known each other forever. We, You know, we're best friends. And I was just like just going just bawled my eyes out. And I think that was a real moment too of just going, I need to figure this out. Like why am I so resistant to money? Why am I repelling money almost? And so that, definitely that was a moment that I remember as just going, I need to sort this out. And that didn't mean that then suddenly it was like perfect, but I realised how much I needed to work on my inner inner self.
0: Mm. And was there anything that prompted you to then to kind of look into sort of like the law of attraction or anything like that or was that something that you've always been interested in? Well, the first
1: time I learned about the law of attraction, I was 14. I used to hang out in a bookstore after school because I'd always forget my house keys because I had undiagnosed ADHD. That's a whole other thing. But um, I would go just stand in a bookstore and just read as many books as I could. And I picked up this book called The Magic of Believing by Claude M Bristol, and it's a book about the law of attraction. So that kind of set me on a path. But again, I felt like the personal development world and the money world were completely separate. And I was like, I can see how, you know, I, I can write goals and do affirmations and do all this stuff, but it's I still don't see how it can make me money or help me in any way with money. So it wasn't until really much later in my, in my late 20s where I started to go, well, I've been reading about this stuff from Louise Hay about forgiveness work. What if I did this with my money? I've been reading about, you know, all this stuff around affirmations and fake it till you make it. What if I kind of did this around money? And some incredible things started happening. And so I, I wrote about this in my first book, Lucky Bitch, how I, my first experiment was I was in the UK on a student visa and I didn't have enough money for the second part of my tuition As an international student, and I was just like, everything's going to work out. Everything's going to work out. Something's going to happen. You know, I'm I'm a lucky person. And three days before my tuition was due, the Friday afternoon, I got a bank error in my favour of five thousand pounds, which is what I needed to. I think my tuition was five thousand four hundred pounds, and I just went, see, I knew it was all going to work out. And I remember my my then boyfriend now husband he was like what do you mean I said I've been learning this thing about the law of attraction and one of it is just you know everything's working out for me my eye is good all the time and he was just like that was really risky because he was like what are you going to do and I was like I don't know it's all just going to work out um and then I won I think it was like 500 at bingo and then do you know what actually the life coaching thing is interesting because I was saying I think I want to be a life coach and someone messaged me and she said, you've just won this life coaching course. And I was like, what do you mean? because I was listening to this lady on a webinar and she was picking two people to win a life coaching scholarship and you won one. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember registering for that webinar, but I didn't even show up. And she's like, well, you just won it. And then I went to that lady's event and I was like, I think I want to write a book. And the door prize was a self-publishing course that this lady Sandy Forster had done. So this lady Sandy was just like, "Oh my god!" So you won my life coaching scholarship. You won this self-publishing course. It's so funny. And then um, we were on our honeymoon, and I was like, "Universe, I want more of this. I want to go on a. I want to go traveling around the world for six months." And when we got home, and I was telling my friends, a friend had texted me and said, "I found a competition to go traveling around the world for six months, all expenses paid." and i was like oh there you go so that's what i wrote the first book about about how the law of attraction how i used it but here's the key so all of that right that's well over like hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of free things i got to the end of that trip and i went i still don't have any money and i went oh my god i've i've been able to manifest all of this free stuff but i still have blockages to receiving actual money so i was like hey universe I'm a big girl now. Thank you for, you know, bringing all this amazing stuff to me. Thank you for bringing me all these freebies that I've been asking for. But it was like, um, you know, a little kid kind of not being trusted with money. And so I was like, I want to earn real money now. And so I then I had to look at it from a different lens of like, why am I not allowed to make money? Why is money unsafe for me? That's then, you know, led to kind of the second book, which is called Get Rich, Lucky Bitch, of really looking at your mindset issues around guilt and shame and all those things around money not just getting free stuff because and you know what now I don't really win stuff anymore I I didn't I needed to at that point of my life but it's not like I'm constantly winning things because I I don't really apply for stuff anymore because I'm just like I'll just buy stuff that I want yeah I don't have to get give it get it given to me I can just make
0: money and buy what I want Amazing. One of the things that you you touch on in your book quite a lot, and you you t- kind of talk about, but I, I it sounds amazing. Is is your rose farm?
1: Yes, yes. So, um, when I was um pregnant with baby number three, and we knew we we knew her name. So her name is Piper Rose. Um, we already knew her name. I started reading these country style. You know, you guys. I think have got one called Country Living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know there's ones and it's always stories about these crazy people who were on a weekend getaway and they saw this rundown house and, and then they found themselves and they bought it. And I'd read it just going, who are these people? Like what? That's so weird. But I said to Mark, wouldn't it be fun if we had a country property as well and we were building this house we live in by the ocean? And he was like, you can't have two houses. And I was like, well, why not? Let's just start dreaming about it. So I started a Pinterest board which is a great manifesting tip, by the way, start a Pinterest board, start to see and because you start to believe it and then you start to go, oh, I wonder what I would like in my house. And it just builds all that belief. You start to go, oh, I like this, not that. And then I said, let's just go to open houses for fun. And I still love doing this. This is my one of my favorite things to do is to go because I love poking around people's houses and i and we, so we started looking at things and I'd go, oh, I like this kitchen, but not that kitchen. All of those things start to build your belief. And I I mean, I did this years, years and years. I'd go to every open house in this area, by the way, where we live by the beach. And I'd go, oh, I like this and I don't like this. And then, of course, I fell in love with the property <laughs> and I ended up buying it. But I didn't intend to buy a rose farm. I just wanted a little country cottage that we could, you know, use for the weekend. But I'd already kind of, I was pinning, you know, rose cottages and the baby in my tummy. Her middle name was already Rose, so it kind of, um, it was obviously meant to be. And it's not a huge commercial farm; it's a it's a hobby rose farm that, you know, has it has like five rose tunnels. It's it's a really interesting lesson actually in terms of money because the first year we were cu- we were going and cutting roses. You know, and then so already the business was making, you know, multiple millions of dollars. And my husband is the launch manager overseeing multiple, you know, million-dollar launches. But he was going to the farm, cutting roses and selling them for $20 a bucket to the local florist. We had um, a Valentine's Day stall the first year that we owned the farm. We made $1,300 and it was so much work. I was just like, so we were trying to figure out what's the best, you know, what's the best way to honour this space, but also, you know, be abundant, have an abundant mindset. So we actually gave part of the, our land to a young couple to start a fruit and vegetable business in, in our garden, and they take care of the roses now too. So it was, um, it's a really big learning sometimes, though, that you might feel like you've nailed money mindset in one area of your life, but then something new will come up, and it was like starting afresh of going oh my god you know we have to monetize this no we actually don't you know but it's um it's been such a great learning and I call them you know million dollar roses because the lessons that I learned from having a physical real farm are priceless
0: Mm. wow what do you feel about you know when you're working working for yourself, you're an entrepreneur, you're doing everything yourself. When did you get to the point where you felt, I can't do this on my own. I know you've got your husband everything, but when when did you get to the point where you're thinking, I need some help now with admin or whatever, or did you try to do it all of yourself?
1: Of course, I tried to do it all myself. Um, yes, I did. because my mindset lesson that I had to unlearn was I was called bossy as a little girl. And I was called bossy in primary school and I was called bossy in high school. I was called bossy at university when I was the president of my business club. So I was really scarred from being called bossy. And so I was like, it's just easier for me to do it all myself. The thing though that I, the thing that stressed me out the most in my first couple of years of business was customer service, emails, because people would email me you know, questions all day long. And I felt like I had to just respond to them. I didn't feel like I could say, hey, just book in a session with me or join my bootcamp or buy one of my books. I felt like I had to help people. I'd say yes to everything. People would say, oh, my links, you know, this doesn't work. And I'd feel paralyzed to help them. So my first hire in my business was someone to just read my emails for me and be essentially be, you know, my assistant five hours a week. That was my first thing. And for the first couple of months, I wouldn't even trust her to respond. I would dictate the answer to her. I'd say, we'd get on Zoom or whatever and I'd say, okay, well, this is how you should answer this email. Not as me. She wouldn't be pretend to be me. She would be, you know, my assistant. But I couldn't even trust her. And then each meeting she'd go, well, 50 of these are already things we've discussed and I know how you'd want me to answer. So it just got less and less, you know, work for me to go, this is how I'd answer because she because it's the same stuff usually again and again. And then it, then I think I just upped the hours for my assistant. So I got to a million dollars with me and one assistant. And I say that sometimes from a badge of pride of going, you yeah, know, look at my work ethic and look at how much I can do myself. But I probably could have gotten there quicker if I'd hired some things out. And so it's tricky sometimes when we go into business because we're told, you know, we'll outsource this and this. But it's so personal. And what I find for some um, especially if you're a, a mom, I actually think getting some laundry help might be a better use of of extra money than hiring someone else in your business. Because you really have to look at what, what's stressing me out, what's stopping me from making money, what is impacting my sleep at night, and what's causing fights in my in my family. And For some people, like if I had to take everything down to the bones, I could do it. I can do everything in my business if I want. I can create some graphics. They're not the best, but I can. I can create graphics. I can do my own scheduling. I can do all those things. But if I had to do all of my own laundry, that would stress me out and drain me so much. But that's me. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got to look at their own to-do list. And I, I would even say it's harder for women to get permission to get help at home than it is to get permission to get help in their business. Yeah. Which is still hard enough anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I know when, um, <laughs> when my husband left in 20, uh, well, it was, yeah, 2017. Uh, the first thing I did was get a cleaner because <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't been allowed one before. So, yes. you know, so it was just like, yeah, no, this, this is because that really stresses me out. You know, I've got three children and, you know, I was working full time and everything. And I was just like, I, I, I can't, I I could keep up with it, but I don't really want to. (laughs) Well, I do want to, I want a lovely clean house, but I don't want to have to do it.
1: Exactly. And I think we're at this point where it's like, there are so many opportunities to create assets for your family. And we only have so many hours in the day. You know, there's so many, so isn't it better for you to create you know, a piece of artwork that you can sell or also license and create passive income than to clean something that's just going to be dirty in a couple of hours time. And that's the mindset shift, but there's so much guilt attached to that. You know, and I remember when, um, when Mark told his mom, who's, you know, English, told his mom that we had a cleaner. And the f- the first thing she said to me, she said, Denise, I can teach you how to iron. <laughs> and I went, I just was like, oh, my God. And I think she gets it now, but it took years and years for her to understand why why I couldn't just do all the cooking and do all the cleaning because that's what she grew up Mm. having to do. But also it was a badge of honour to say I do all of these things for my family. And I didn't feel like that was something that gave me anything, any sense of satisfaction or pride. And now I I take it way too far now because I'm a very abundant now. You know, I outsource everything. I don't do any cooking, any cleaning. I've got a daily housekeeper, all of those things because I've I've never been good at it. I've never seen it as a badge of honour. But then I hear people go, but I like cooking. And I go, babe, keep cooking. No one's telling you to not cook. But is there other things or are there other things in your life that stress you out? And they go, well, yeah, I hate having to do XYZ. And, oh, my God, I spoke to someone this week who is like multiple six-figure business, breadwinner of the family. She was cleaning the pool. She was cleaning the pool. And she was like, oh, I finally got a pool cleaner. And I'm like, you're allowed. <laughs> you're allowed to. And it's creating a job for someone else. But there's there's absolutely so much cultural shame around that and gender shame around you have to do everything or you're a bad mother. And you know even people who don't have kids, there's still that sense of maybe you grew up in a working class family and it's just like, who do you think you are having someone? you, you think you're too good to clean your toilet or you think you're too good to do this? And um, my first year, when I had my first baby, I was my business was already at the million dollar mark or close to I think it was about 750 um, to 900, something like that. And I remember thinking, What are my friends from home going to think of me if I have a nanny? I was just mortified about it. But I then hired someone to come into, you know, come into my house, just be like a grandmother around to be like, okay, you've got a call for the next hour. Let me hold the baby. And I'd go do the thing, come back and feed her. And I just thought, I can't tell anyone about this. This is so shameful. And now I don't care. Now I'm just like, I channel... Don Ernest Thomas, who is my granddad, was my grand, he's deceased, but I think he would come home and he'd be like, I get to choose what's on the TV. You guys bring food to me at 7.30 on the dot. You know, clean clothes magically appear. He never felt an ounce of guilt for any of that because he was the breadwinner, you know, and so
0: I just channel his entitlement. I think sometimes. (laughs) oh dear I was brought up um so I'm from a um a family the six of us six children in my family and my mum and dad had a restaurant um so we had au pairs my dad's Swiss and we had sort of foreign au pairs all the time growing up felt very normal for us uh you know to have that and it was just like you know they're all in the family photos and everything like that you know so I mean I haven't For me, I would absolutely love to have a housekeeper and a chef. (laughs) I need to be manifesting that so that I can have lovely food so I don't have to make it. Um, And again, you can start
1: incrementally. You could start small. You could have someone prepare, you know, pre do meals. Because I started, when I started um, getting a cleaner, that was in my early 20s when I couldn't afford it. And I did it once every two weeks just to do the bathrooms. And so we all sometimes think it's all or nothing and there could just be a way for you to incrementally work your way into that. But I have a question for you, actually, because I'm really curious sometimes about experiences. You know, you just said that your family had restaurants, did you say, growing up? Yeah. yeah. And, you're, and your dad was Swiss. Was your, your mum Swiss too? No, my mum's British. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Yes. So I want to hear, is there anything around there? Because as soon as you said, oh, my family had restaurants, I was thinking, the first thing that came into my mind, if you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. And I think sometimes, you know, growing up, sometimes kids are in family businesses, sometimes they're not. I, I want to hear what's, what money blocks do you think you got from
0: that? Well, we were either incredibly abundant or kind of just getting by <laughs> I think <clears throat> we, w- we we went through I was very privileged uh, as a child we lived in the most beautiful building I mean it was like a, a it was it's called the old deanery it was absolutely immense huge and my dad would rock up one day with a with a boat like I bought a boat, let off, let's go off and, and speed round the thing. So, you know, absolutely brilliant and, and fantastic adventures. We had a, a motor cruiser, we bought a motor cruiser, or well, they bought a motor cruiser and they took to Greece. And we spent all of our summer holidays um in Greece sailing around the Greek islands. I mean, it wasn't like you know, one of these amazing, you know, yachts and everything. It was, it was, it was fantastic, but it was, you know, um wasn't particularly luxurious. And, and I guess as a child, really, it was like, well, you know, if if we want something, we, we, we have it. And what then happened going into my, I guess, you know, when I left home and bought a house and everything like that, I took that money mindset with me. So it's like, well, whatever I want, I'll just have. And then of course you get into debt and you can't afford stuff. And it's like, well, well, I'll just get credit cards then. And then you end up with credit cards and then you end up with debt. And then put, put that into the fact that you've also got a husband that you can't speak about finances to. Then you end up in this, and I ended up in this colossal amount of debt. I I had no credit score, nothing. And I I didn't know what to do. And I couldn't speak to my husband about it because he'd, he'd have gone absolutely mental. And luckily I ended up going to a, a charity in the in the UK to help with the, the debt management, which is all fine. So now, and that was a point, I get to the supermarket, I would buy the family shopping, I'd stand there at the supermarket, I'd put, you know, put my card in, and there'd be no money on it. And that is the most horrible feeling in the whole world. It was my own fault, you know, but it was the most awful feeling. So now when I have I'm making quite a lot of money each each month which I've worked really really hard for I've and I've done exactly what you said i've got I've got little pockets of money and I call them things one you know I, money loves me and I've got another land Rover fund and all of that kind of stuff but then I feel really awful when I have to spend it so I just want to keep and hoard all, all of this money yeah. because I just want it there and they won't have to spend it I'm like oh god I've got a you know I don't begrudge spending it but I get this little funny feeling and I'm like, oh gosh, it's all gonna go.
1: Yes. And I I understand that. It's I think when you grow up in feast or famine, sometimes you can be very comfortable living in that space. And you know, even what you said about the instant gratification thing, even though we didn't have a lot of money growing up, my mum was actually incredibly lucky. So she would win bingo or she would win something on the slot machine. And so then Instead of going, okay, well, this could last us for a couple of months, she'd go and buy something outrageous. And I remember she bought a motorbike one time. She didn't even ride it, you know. And so sometimes it's not about the amount of money we have, it's the behavior that will continue Mm. until we really look at it. And so sometimes people think, well, a lottery win would save all of, you know, solve all of my problems, or a big windfall would save all my problems, but it wouldn't. You would, you're just the same person and you'll continue it no matter how much money you have. So it's looking at, what can you learn from that experience, but also not to overcorrect either. And then sometimes people then become too frugal, you know, because of of the fear of it. So we're never going to be perfect with money. We're just aiming for how can we just create a bit more stability and not sabotage ourselves and to be mindful of those sabotaging behaviors too, because I can be very impulsive, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like that too. And I, I have to watch that and I have to put things into place of going, okay, I'll talk to my financial advisor. I'll get, I'll get someone to run the numbers because otherwise I'm just very optimistic. I go, oh, well, it'll always work out. There's always more money. And, you know, it's really important to to look at your patterns like that.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. And it's, you know, having having joined your boot camp and gone through, I mean, I went through the um got the first one, which is, I think it's the the forgiveness bit. I just sat there crying. Mm-hmm. It's intense. It's like, oh God. Because <laughs> it brings it is, so much chance, out. Isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's sometimes too, there's other layers of that of going, sometimes we have to forgive ourselves for past purchases and past behavior. And it's ongoing work forever. It really is. But it doesn't have to be scary and horrible. It can be very light and curious. Because I think we're curious people anyway, you know, think of the conversations we have sometimes with our friends, very intimate details of our lives, but we don't have an outlet to be able to talk about these things that we've talked about today of just how did we grow up and what did that teach us and where are we overcompensating for those experiences and where are we just unconsciously copying behavior that we saw and what are we afraid of if we get a cleaner? Or, you know, all of those things. I, I just find it endlessly fascinating and fun to talk about. And, um, and you know, that's why I've created my programs and written the books about it.
0: No, is it, they are fantastic. And I've I, I recommended your books to to everybody because, and I've implemented so many things as well from your book. So now I go to bed and I do my forgiveness. And I love it when you, in your book, you talk about forgiving your toes. I just, I I love that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, forgiving my, because I've got dodgy knees. So, I forgive my knees. You know, you make everything so real and so normal. And that's what I really love. And it makes it so that it's attainable for, for me, who I, I class myself as a normal person, you know, listening to somebody who's written this amazing book um, and doing incredibly well and living the most, you know, fab- fabulous life. And you're giving me stuff that I can do. And and that well that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: makes me happy. Because I think when I learned about the law of attraction to me it seemed like this impossible task of just being a very good perfect person. You know, and and so I I'm a Virgo, I'm very practical. So I was like, but what does that mean? How can we put these things into real life because I'm not a I'm not a good person. How can I think about myself as a good person all day long. And so it's just really practical things that anyone can do right now, you know. There's so many things in there of just going, you can upgrade something little in your life that's so symbolic that it will change your thoughts about yourself and or it, or release a little bit of friction so then you can, you know, we're all smart people. I always think with business especially um making money, it's actually not hard. There's so much money out there. There's more money than anything else, but we are the ones who think that there's a lot of scarcity. And we're the ones that sometimes are holding ourselves back too. No matter what's happening in the economy, you can always be in your own corner. That's the only thing we can control is I deeply and completely love and accept myself. Mm. And that that moves, that
0: creates miracles. It really does. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, well, that's that's I can't believe we've been chatting for an hour. And what a lovely I know, Bunny. And it's one
1: o'clock for you now. Oh my gosh. I appreciate it. And I got to see your cute little doggy at the start.
0: Yes, yes. Poodle? I've got three. Well, it? I've got because you've got a, a, some sort of doodle, haven't you? Have you got like? I've a, got two Cavoodles. Yeah. Okay, so I've got two. They call them Newfie Poo's. So they're Newfoundland cross Standard Poodles. So they're big, and then I have a Deerhound as well. A Newfie Poo.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> the cutest thing I've ever heard. Uh, yes, and I I actually had a photo shoot with my family a couple of weeks ago. And all of the kids were just being rat bags, you know, with family photos. And you're like, small,
0: I'm going to
1: murder you. And they're just not into it. So I said, Well, I'm just going to get photos with my dogs. And the dogs were just like, yeah. Yes. Yes. And so I've got like 30 photos of me and the dogs. I'm like, well, this is my I love these guys. <laughs> they're yeah. my favorite kids.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love my dogs. I love my dogs.
1: <laughs> babies bring abundance right For babies bring abundance
0: yeah for sure. definitely oh gosh it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you, Denise thank you so much uh for for giving me your time and um yes I shall go to bed very happy tonight having spoken well
1: thank you thank you so much and again if anyone wants to pre-order my new book Go to denisedt.com slash prosper, get all those pre-order bonuses. And, you know, and I love hearing from people on social media as well. You know, tag both of us. My Insta is at denise dt. What's yours, Bonnie, again? Uh, Mine is at Bonnie Snowden Academy. Well, there you go. Tag us both. Tell us your money stories because it's just, again, it's so fascinating hearing those nuances of different industries or professions or backgrounds or sayings. I'm obsessed with people's family sayings around money and yeah, it's, it can be easier, fun conversation and curiosity
0: and we can, we're allowed to make money. Yeah, Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. And it's so lovely it's to funny. meet me. you. <laughs> too. Bye. 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 I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of my It's a Bonnie Old Life podcast. If you did, I'd be so grateful to you for emailing me or texting a link to the show or sharing it on social media with those, you know, who might like it too. My mission with this podcast is all about sharing mine and my community's experience and hope by telling your fascinating personal stories, championing the other amazing humans in my personal, professional and membership community, and to create another channel through which I can support you to realize your colored pencil and life dreams. If you haven't done so yet, please help me on my mission to spread positivity and joy throughout the Coloured Pencil world by following me on my socials at Bonnie Snowden Academy or by getting on my list at BonnieSnowdenAcademy.com. And remember, I truly believe if I can live the life of my dreams doing what I love, then you can too. We just need to keep championing and supporting each other along the way in order to make it happen. Till next time.